Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The ancient world was judged, but God saved Noah and, and seven others out of that. And he also turned Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have cities now that resemble very much like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed them. And this was an example to show us of things that are to come and the things that God is going to do. Today on Truth in Christ, Peter reminds us of God's impending judgment and deliverance. Welcome to today's study. In order to warn his readers and urge them to act, Peter recalls three examples of God's judgment and deliverance. God judged angels who sinned. God also judged the ancient world in the flood, but protected Noah and seven others. And he judged the immoral city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but rescued righteous Lot. It's clear in this teaching, the unrighteous will not escape God's sovereignty and punishment. And now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Boy, are we more free than ever, and yet everyone will look at you with like they're testing new eyes. What's, what's wrong with you? I found Christ. I'm saved. I know where I'm going. He loves me with an everlasting love. Do you know that he loves you too? Even with the, the, the mess that your life is in, do you know that he loves you? Do you know that? Do you know that? And that's the message we have to share with people. And you know what? The Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those groups that we just read about in 1 John. They don't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. They believe he's a good man, but they don't believe he's God. And therefore, they are false prophets. They are false teachers. That's just one example. Any spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But if they don't confess that he's God and come in the flesh, they have the spirit of Antichrist. They are a false organization. In Second Peter here in verse 1, we're just going to briefly go over this. But there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They don't do it in some bald-faced lie. They come in very subtly. In fact, that's what the word secretly bring in. That verb means to introduce or bring in secretly or craftily. It sounds like a serpent, doesn't it? Because in Florida, if you live in Florida, like I've lived in Florida, you could be in your living room with your front door open because of the, you know, it's really hot and maybe you just want some fresh air. And the next thing you know, you can look over, you can see something off the periphery of your eye and you're like, there's a snake that just got in my house. And he's slithering along the side. And you're like, ah, you know, 
But he comes in secretly, craftily, and that's exactly what these people do. And many, verse 2, will follow their destructive or pernicious ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, Jesus said, narrow is the way, narrow is the gate. God is more concerned about having a church that is holy than a church that is united to win the world for Christ at the expense of truth and obedience. He'd much rather have a small remnant that is holy to him, that is separate to him, that's obedient to him. The world is not going to be saved. For God, It's not God's will that any should perish, right? But that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. But he knows very well that not the whole world is going to be saved. And so we don't need to combine together in some ecumenical movement to, to go out and save the world. God says, come out from among them, and you minister to those. It's always the remnant. The remnant are, are the ones always that God has wanted to minister to. He'd rather have a remnant that's on fire than a great big group of mass of people who are lukewarm that he has to spew them out of his mouth. Verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. We know that covetousness is just a greedy desire. A greedy desire. Samuel said to Saul, the Old Testament prophet Samuel said to the first king Saul, he says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, notice, he has also rejected you from being king. Obedience is so central to this. And yet by covetousness, by greedy desire... They will exploit you. They'll make merchandise of you. These false teachers, they will exploit you. They will use you like merchandise. They'll sell you merchandise. And we talked about that last week. You too can have a hanky that was blessed by so-and-so. He used it a couple times too. And it's even worth more now. Right? Great, sign me up. Give me a case of those things. And then I can sell them and give them to all my friends. At a price. No, God says, that's nonsense. Don't let them make merchandise of you. If you're going to give, give to the real thing. Give to those who are serving and ministering God's word. Notice in verse 4, verse 4 through verse um, 10, the middle of verse 10 actually is one big long run-on sentence. And I love this about the prophets or about the apostles and some of their letters. Very long sentences. Our English teacher would scold them, but they don't need to because it's inspired. Right, so, But let's look at that, because when we look at um, verses uh, 4 down through the middle of verse 10, it's one thought, it's one thing, and so let's read it. And, 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 and before we do, let's look at this, because Peter is in these verses, 4 through the half of uh, chapter, or verse 10, I'm sorry, he's really contrasting the difference in the fates of those, or their eternal destination, for those who are righteous in Christ and those who are not. And so let's look at it. He says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Notice, and, and also, if he did that, and did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them, notice, an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Verse 7, And 
delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment of the judgment, the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. That is one thought. One thought. The difference between them. God didn't even spare the angels who sinned. And he didn't spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah. You see the difference? There's the angels who sinned. They they were judged. The ancient world was judged, but God saved Noah and, and, and seven others out of that. And he also turned Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have cities now that resemble very much like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed them. And this was an example to show us of things that are to come and the things that God is going to do. But he delivered, notice, just Lot. He delivered Lot out of that mess. And I love verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And notice, they despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Let's go back to verse 4 there, because when it says, for God did not spare the angels who sinned, but he cast them down to hell, this word hell is literally the Greek word Tartarus. It only happens once in the Bible. You'll never find this Greek word anywhere else but right here. In the word Tartarus, our English translators translated it hell, but what it, what it meant to the original hearers was a compartment. We know that Hades, we believe, has compartments to it. We call it hell. Right now, there are people in Hades. And there are compartments, evidently, or separate things. We don't really know. But Tartarus, evidently, is possibly the very lowest of this place. The very lowest of this place. We spent a great deal talking about this idea on uh, when, we, when we were in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. If you want to get more of a complete uh, discussion on that and teaching on that, it was April 7th. 2019. And you can get that if you have an Apple phone or an Android device. You can download the podcast. You can listen to that. I went into more detail on that, but we're not going to do that here. But this is speaking of fallen angels. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, and he delivered them into chains of darkness, and to do what? To reserve them for judgment. They're there right now. They're being reserved for judgment. Because when we look at Genesis 6, and I'm just going to very high uh, level here, uh, in Genesis 6 it talks about these fallen angels who, instead of maintaining their abode in heaven, they decided at some point when uh, women began, men and women began to multiply on the earth, that they would come down, whether it was in a spiritual form and they um, possessed a man or whether it was in physical form, I don't really know. But whatever it was, it was really twisted and really wicked and very scary. <laughs> they came down and they had sexual relations with these women. And as a result of that union, a group of people called the Nephilim or giants, the Bible says in Numbers 13, verse 33, they were giants. And this race of people were very large in stature. This unholy union that God forbid. And because of that, and it happened before the flood and also after the flood, and God says, you guys are going downtown. 
And he retook them, and they're right there in Tartarus today, reserved unto the day of judgment. And the sons of Anak were a product of the giants, that group of people, that race of people. And Goliath was one of them. That's why Goliath was such a, a genetic nightmare. Remember, he was over nine feet tall. And here's young David with his sling. I would have much rather had a flamethrower. Or maybe, you know, a grenade about that big around. Just, hi. But he comes at him with a rock. I love that. That's not a story, folks. That's history. It's history. I love it. I'm hoping that God and glory will re- replay that, especially for the guys. The women will probably have tea or something, but the guys will all gather around. Show us it again, Lord. Show us it in real time. I want to see the look on David's face. I want to see the look on Goliath's face and his disdain and all of his pride. And have David, and I love that. The, the, the Bible, just bear with me. I, I want to see David with that sling, and he's got that leather pouch, and he's got that sling, and he's just winding it up, and he's looking at Goliath, and, and he's scared. But he's also confident, he's bold, and he's swinging that thing, and then he takes off after him. I want to see the look on David's face when he does that. I don't know about you, but that's just exciting. I know I'm weird, so just bear with me. So this unholy union occurs. And so if God, he didn't spare those angels. He's got them reserved under judgment of the last day. In fact, the epistle of Jude, Jesus' half-brother, wrote this concerning what we're reading right now. In fact, Second Peter chapter 2 and Jude, Jude's epistle, look, sound awfully familiar. You'd almost think that the same spirit is governing them. Hmm, probably. <laughs> Jude says this, he says, But I want you to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. We know that happened in the desert. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, So something really wicked happened here. And what is this judgment that he's referring to? Well, we know that after the rapture of the church, after the church has been raptured, we know that there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. But at the end of that, we know that God, Jesus Christ, is going to set down the foot of the Mount of Olives, and we were going to come back with him for the thousand-year reign of Christ. But at the end of that thousand years... There's a lot more to that, but at the end of that thousand years, there's going to be a great white throne judgment of those who have rejected Christ. They will all stand before him, and they will give an account, but there will be no hope for them. It says this in Revelation chapter 20. Let me just read it to you, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Is everything being recorded? You better believe it. We don't have to worry about China with all their cameras. God is omniscient. He could very easily replay, if he so chose, 
Do you remember that time when I sent that missionary to you and you rejected him? In fact, you got a whole band together and you ran him out of town. That was me. Here's the video. The video is here. You can see it for yourself. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death, notice, and Hades, including those in Tartarus, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, and each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. They were cast into Gehenna forever. That is the final destination of the wicked abode. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire to join those where the the devil and the false prophet and the beast, the Antichrist, where they are, where they will be. In verse 5, back in uh, the second chapter of Second Peter, so God did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, bringing in the flood of the ungod, uh, uh, on the world of the ungodly, and he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them notice an example to those who would live after un, uh, ungodly. And, you know, it's important that we, that we are warned. You know, in Romans chapter 15, it says, For whatever things were written before, they were written for our learning. So these things that we're reading right now, they're written for our warning, for our learning as well, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 said this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that. God gives us plenty of examples. He gives us the examples that we might learn. God wants us to learn. He chastens those whom he loves, doesn't he? It's not like he's mad and angry with you and has to pound on you. No, he's already taken the judgment of your sin upon his son. But now we go through difficulties sometimes because we're learning. And sometimes I have to learn a hard lesson. Sometimes I have to go through something and God has to get my attention. And it's really uncomfortable. I don't like the process. I'd much rather go to the lake with my lawn chair. But no, God says, Rob, you need to go through this because there's, a, there's something in your heart that you need to learn. And I'm going to allow this because I know the end. The end of it's going to be sweet because you're going to be more devoted to me and you're going to be more of a good example for those around you. And isn't that the heart of God? Isn't that what he wants to do? He wants us to make us, he wants, to be, wants us to be that light on a pole in the room, shining light to, in, a, in a room full of darkness. And you, we are in a dark world. And everywhere you go, you bring a light. You, you are the lamp that is in the room. And God would have it that way. He says in verse 7, and delivered, he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit calls him righteous, isn't it? But Lot was a believer. He was a nephew of Abraham. And there was something in Lot that just wasn't satisfied. There was something that wasn't quite consecrated to the Lord. His heart was not quite right. And here he is. God calls him a believer, but he's a carnal believer. And there he is. You remember when they separated from, from Abraham. Abraham says, you know, I'm going to take the mountains. And I got, you know, they had so much livestock. I'll take the mountains, Lot. And he, he gave Lot the choice. You can go to the mountains or you can go to the plain. And Lot's looking around. He's looking down there at Sodom and Gomorrah and going, hmm, I could probably make a lot of money down there. Looks very fertile. The grass is nice and green for the cattle. I think I'm going to take that place down there, Uncle Abraham. And he's like, okay. All right. So he takes the, Abraham takes the high road and Lot takes the low road. 
And he goes down and notice what it says. That, you know, that righteous man dwelling among them, he tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Why would somebody want to continue willfully living like that? There's something wrong. There's a disconnect. His heart wasn't completely toward the Lord. Lot did not make his call an election sure, because if he did, he would have looked at that, or even if he made a mistake, he would have got down in there and realized, you know what? This is not the place for me. <laughs> if I can't be a, 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 a dedicated light in this place, but he was just being worn down. That's what the word means. He was wore down like, like water on limestone, eventually, or sandstone. It just eventually wears away, and pretty soon you've got a great cave that water drips in that same area long enough, it's going to be a cave. And before long, you're going to fall in that cave. And I believe Lot was very close. Only God knows. But I love verse 9. It says, then. The word then is in italics because it wasn't in the original language. But it says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation, as we consider Lot, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that's speaking about temptation, and that's definitely true. But sometimes in our life we find ourselves in consequences, or I'm sorry, circumstances, where it is really over our head. Have you been there? I've talked to many of you. I've known you for years. Some of you have had a death in the family. You've lost your job, and now you've just been diagnosed with cancer all within one week. These things happen. And it, you, you're just, you feel like, you're like, Lord, I can't take this. I lost the person I loved. I've lost a job. What am I going to do? And now I've just been diagnosed with lung cancer, and I've got three months to live. Way over my head. When it comes to temptation, God will give you a way out. And sometimes he allows us to get over our heads in our circumstances. Why? Is it to destroy us? No, it's to get us to look up and to trust him. Sometimes that's the only way I do it. Sometimes that's the only way I'm willing to look up and finally admit and get on my face and cry like a baby again. I'm a big crybaby, honestly, I am. I, I, I cry over, we watch Hallmark movies, and I'm like, <laughs> You know, Christmas time, I'm just like, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> Shouldn't be watching it so much. But anyway, it is fun. But anyway, the idea is, God knows. But sometimes we get in over our head, and that's a good thing, because then we have a decision to make. We can either cry out and submit to God and trust him with everything. Isn't that what God wants? He wants us to trust him. Do you trust him with everything? When things, especially when things are going bad, it's easy to trust when pie in the sky and everything is going great and the money's in the bank and everything's great and your car's not leaking oil. That's wonderful. You've got nothing. <laughs> There's a story behind that. But, but God, he's, he wants us to get to that place. It honors him when, we, when we're prostrate before him and just say, God, this is too much for me. And even when things are going well, get into the habit now of getting prostrate before him. And saying, Lord, I am. Things are going really great now, but I know that's not going to last all, all, you know, forever. I need you, Lord. Please sanctify me today when things are going good. Help me to worship you when things are going good, and especially when things are going bad. But notice in verse ten, and especially those, God knows how to reserve 
or to, to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to their flesh and their lust of unclean. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.